If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I'm here today with Summit Home Loans. The owner is Dylan Lewis, and he's here with Jan Mullen. So thank you for being here. This is such an appropriate time to talk to both of you. And I'm excited to be able to talk to you about mortgages and your experiences and your story. So I'll turn it turn the time over to you. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Dylan Lewis. I own Summit Home Loans. Um, I'm a Davis High graduate. My wife and I both went to Davis High, and we live in Kaysville. Um, and I started actually doing mortgages about 10 years ago almost as just kind of a, a job to get through college. My plan was go to dental school. Oh, okay. And I, I chatted with a guy that I grew up down the street from, and my wife and I were looking at buying a house, and I knew he did mortgages, so I had reached out to him. I went in and got pre-approved with him, and then at the end of the conversation, he was like, you want to work here? Really? That's so fantastic. I was like selling insurance at the time, kind of working during the day, going to school at night, and I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And he did tell me, I'll never forget, he said, I bet you can do well enough to pay for dental school. But if you do well, you're never going to go to dental school. And sure enough, I, I've got about 13 credit hours left to get really? my bachelor's degree, and I will never do it. You'll never. I mean, yeah. we can have a different podcast about that someday where <laughs> I feel like my generation is a little bitter. We were all told, like, you have to go this route. And if you don't, then you're a loser, right? Like, And, and now so changed. many of them are bugged, and they're mad, and they're paying off this master's degree that they were told they have to have, and they right. still are just a tech sales guy and it's true. somewhere in Utah County, and they, they don't love it. And so... I'm grateful that I, I kind of found that path a different way. Um, it took me quite a while, even once I was doing well in the mortgage industry to realize that. Um, I, I remember my wife and I, we lived just down the street from here in our first little house and I, I was getting ready. I was, I was literally signing up for classes for my last semester of school and I was working a ton, going to school at night and our daughter had just been born like a month before our first child. And I broke down to my wife. I was like, I hate this. I, I hate school. It's not doing anything for me. I'm leaving before she wakes up in the morning. I'm getting home before or after she's gone to bed. Like, I, I just don't like this. And she was like, well, what were you going to school for? What's the point? What are you trying to do? And it was the very first time it had clicked for me that like, maybe I don't have to do this, right? Even really? though all these people at Davis it, High and my counselors and everyone along the way said, this is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. It was literally the first time it had finally kind of clicked for me that this might not be what you have to do. And not to say that that's not a good route for a lot of people, but for me, it just wasn't the way because I knew what I wanted to do. And so I spent the next year, instead of going to school at night, um, I had been working for, for the guy that I worked for for four years at that point and decided I was going to kind of break off on my own and take a chance and go start my own mortgage company. And about 10 months after that is when me and a couple of guys that I had recruited, we decided to break off and it was a quick moment. The guy that we were working for found out, fired us overnight. And the next day we were, 
it, it was funny. We had pictures of us. Like we, we rented a little space down the street from here and we were just truck. doing loans off of a card table really? while like between phone calls were chopping wood to lay flooring in this little business and stuff. And it was awesome. It was, it was really fun. We were young and dumb enough that we just didn't know any better. So we, we figured, yeah, we'll make it work. So, uh, it, it's gone well. We've bought a different building and we've grown and expanded and COVID, you know, I heard a lot of people economically, but the mortgage world, it was good for us. It, it was, wasn't it? People were getting busy during that time. Yeah, it turned. Yeah, 10-year plans into two-year plans. Mm -hmm. And so so that was a really big blessing for us. And um, But like you said, there's a lot in the other direction now with the mortgage world. And so as a mortgage broker and a small business owner and the way that we've kind of poised our business, it's been, again, a blessing to not be like these big retail lenders that are laying people off like crazy and closing their doors and consolidating a lot of businesses. So yeah, that's kind of a snippet Reader's Digest version of, of our story to where well, we're at now. It's an, it's an inspiring story because there are so many young people graduating and, and in school right now that will will end up graduating and having great degrees, but then not being able to work in their field because they don't have relevant work experience. They don't have the proper certifications. I mean, so it's not just this magical rainbow that happens after you graduate, and that's hard for people. And it's kind of frustrating because then they find themselves in a situation where they're starting from the bottom anyway, even though they've worked really hard to get these degrees. And so it's really neat to talk to entrepreneurs. My husband and I are business owners. We love we love the energy and the enthusiasm that comes from going out and making your own way. So I yeah, think that's man. really impressive. It's always fun too to talk to people. You'd mentioned you have you know kids close to my age. I'm 30 years old and it seems like most of your generation is pretty diehard one way or the other, mm -hmm. right? Where like a lot of even business owners I know and respect, they still just have like this, this rule of, I don't care what your degree is, but just if you don't one. have a degree, then mm -hmm. you can't progress past X point in my business. And I think that's kind of funny. My dad's a, an executive for a big company in, in Utah County. And he is one of the outliers, I think in that world. Because he is, he's a farm boy from Idaho who did similar to I did. He, he went to school for a couple of years, realized I don't like this and I'm a harder worker than the rest of these people. So I'm just going to get a head start and go. Mm -hmm. And so now he'll interview kids that graduated from BYU and the U and they've got their 4.0 and it bugs them because his question to them is who paid for your school? I don't care what grades you got. I'd rather you got a 3.0, barely graduated supported you and your wife and kids and paid for school over a six year period while working, then like mom and dad paid for you to go to school and you had a ton of fun and got a 4.0. Oh, absolutely. And those are the people that he hires and it goes well for him. He's got a great team. And so it is interesting. I'm convinced and I'm biased, but I, I tell people my generation is going to break the back of the college system because we're going to tell our kids, like I, I will tell them like education is extremely important, right? Like I won't discount that at all. But most of the education I use every single day, I learned in high school, junior <laughs> I, high. I completely agree. And within one or two years, I went to LDS Business College and loved it. And then I went to Weber and hated it. And the difference was LDS Business College, my classes were taught by successful entrepreneurs who kind of wanted to give back. They, they own their CPA for, firm or whatever business they own. And then they teach one class a week right. as a way to give back. And so most of our classes were real life, tangible experiences within their field. And we got to pick their brains and ask them about what they do. Right. Those are the things that I use, that I use every single day, the things that I learned. 
I tell people, like, I own a mortgage company. It's not an easy thing. It's not like we're just selling something online. It's highly regulated. It's, yeah, it's right. crazy. But m- the math I do every day mm-hmm. was like the classes I took in junior high, literally. Absolutely. And then in high school, I took AP Calculus and AP Psych and AP all this and that, right? Like I took, a, what was it, AP Art History because I was told that's what you got to do if mm-hmm. you want to be successful. And I'll never forget, I have a friend, I shout him out all the time. I have multiple friends who are blue collar, super successful. One of the kids that I was close with, I played soccer with him at Davis High. And we all loved him, but we kind of thought like, oh, he's just kind of like this poor kid who's going to be a loser because he doesn't take all these classes with us. He went to the DATC every single day. Instead of school, he walked across the road and graduated high school with his journeyman plumber's um, license. So smart. So since the day he graduated, he's been making six figures, working for himself, has no debt, didn't waste time in school, Mm -hmm. lives the life of his dreams. Him and his wife supports them well, fishes when he wants, right? Like he has a life that's enviable from most of the kids that did everything that I did, but just kept going. You know what? You make a really good point. and, And the world has changed so much. Even the state of Utah now doesn't require a degree. For any of any state jobs. Oh, cool. They want experience. That's a step in the right direction. They do not require a degree. And it's fantastic. The lieutenant governor has a return to work program where it's a return to work uh, uh, internship type program for people who have been out of the field. It's just great. I think that we're seeing such a shift in what matters. What are we interested in? What are we good at naturally? That's what we should focus our lives on. And so it's great to see people doing things that make them happy. And what you do is a huge service to the community as well. So let's talk a little bit about mortgage. I started my career actually as a mortgage loan processor at First Security Bank years oh, ago. Cool. And my boss, he was a senior level, I think he was a senior VP of the bank. He told my boss to hire me and she was so mad at me the whole time I worked there. I had no experience, <laughs> no clue, but it was such a great landing place or such a great starting place for me. And then it just took my career to where it needed to go. And it was fantastic. So, so I love the mortgage industry. I love development. I love all of it. Um, as we look at interest rates right now, a lot of people are nervous sure. about what the economy is doing. So tell us from your perspective, what is that doing to impact the markets? Where are we at? Is now a good time to buy a house, I guess, is a good question. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Honestly, one that we answer every single day right mm-hmm. now. And the main point I try to make with people most of the time is you're going to get a lot of opinions, right? Because everyone has an opinion. Everyone's got a father-in-law and a neighbor and an uncle who knows a guy or used to work in the mortgage industry or whatever it might be. So we get a lot of those opinions from people. And I try to substantiate my opinions based on data, right? I, I try and argue with those people in a nice way and say, look, I've literally done thousands of loans. My resume, I don't know who your father-in-law is or who that person is that you're talking to, but uh, we are the highest rated mortgage company in Davis and Weber County. I have been a top 1% loan originator volume-wise for five years straight in the nation, right? So, In the nation, really? Yeah, we do a lot of loans, right? And so I try and tell people not only that, but also I buy a lot of real estate. Like I don't have a 401k or a pension plan, so I buy a lot of real estate. And I try and base all of that off of not like a gut feeling or what has happened just in the past, but based on the data that we see, and especially in Utah. Um, The, like the Chamber of Commerce met last week and they talked about, yes, there's a recession. It's probably going to continue through 2024, 
but specific to Utah, it will impact us very little. The housing market's going to continue to recover. If you even want to call it recovering, it's never really taken a dip. It just slowed down for a minute in a way that I think is beneficial uh, for multiple reasons. One, it's made builders have to do a better job. They can't just give people the finger when they ask them to like do their job well. They get to now like actually listen to their clients and sell a house and not just kind of ask them to pay over market price. So I think the last six months have been great because it's helped people to get back to doing their job the right way. Whether you're a mortgage company, a realtor, a builder, whatever it might be, people have had to go back to doing a good job. Um, And for us, that provides a lot of value because now people appreciate a mortgage company that does a good job, answers their phone, does it quickly, and is a really, really good deal. And that's always kind of been our business model is do a good job for people at a really good rate. And our play has always been, you know, we don't need to make a ton of money off of every single person that comes through the door like most of these big retail mortgage companies are, or even the That's banks. Um, for example, and we can get all like the details and stuff, but most retail mortgage companies or banks are making about two to two and a half times as much on a loan as we do. But that's also why they can't survive a six to nine month period of rates going up without closing their doors and firing and a ton of people. people. Yeah, or firing people. Yeah. yeah, it just gets crazy. Where with us, like we've actually grown in the last six months because we're picking up guys like Dan, That's who are good. coming from these retail companies that are either closing their doors or they're losing tons of business because now all of a sudden the difference in rate of half a percent or one percent or fees of thousands and thousands of dollars, people care a little more about that than they did a year or two ago. Dan's a perfect example. He came from a retail mortgage company where we talked. I told him about the benefits that we would have as far as helping him sell himself and his business. And then for a few weeks, he would send me a text every couple of days and say, like, what would you be in this scenario? What would your rate be and cost be in this scenario? Oh, really? Scenario? That's good, and I sure did. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you did your homework over a, a while. and I'm a numbers guy. I've mm-hmm. been a CPA for seven years. Oh, okay. And uh, that helps me underwrite, or not underwrite, but helps me under originate loans for self-employed people because that's how we underwrite them is using that's those good. tax returns. So right. this is kind of a natural transition for me. From the broker world, knowing that math and seeing those differences in rate, especially, was big for me. So it was pretty easy choice to come over to Summit. I'm really happy here. So how are you able to keep your your uh, costs down? Uh, a few Do different you... ways. So people can go to three different types of mortgage companies. <laughs> okay. Honestly, for for any type of mortgage, you can go to a bank or credit union. Mm-hmm. You can go to a big retail lender, um, the guys that you see on the billboards and the the TV commercials and stuff like that, or a mortgage broker. Um, the bank does a decent job. Their price isn't horrible. But the hard part is like you could go be the person that sits at the bank in a week. Mm-hmm. The barrier to entry and the licensing and all that kind of stuff is a relatively low bar. Right. Plus, there's just too many people to pay along the way for them to be as good of a deal as us. The retail lender, it's going to be a little better experience. The person's going to be a little more knowledgeable, but they're about the most expensive place you can go. And that's all baked into the interest rate. Like before I ever got a mortgage, or before I even obviously started in this career, I just assumed what most people think, which is, you know, rates are rates. That's what it is. Go anywhere. Like if you've got a friend that works somewhere, just go there. It's not the case. The rate is dependent on how much money that bank is making, Mm -hmm. how much they're paying people along the way, how much that loan officer wants to make, and then the fees that they charge. So for us, brokers are almost always going to be the best deal because the only way to access the banks that we do loans through, they are, we call them non-retail banks where they only do mortgages. 
So it's the only thing they offer. They don't want your deposits. They don't want your checking account. They don't want any of that stuff. You can't even like go to their office because most of them have one giant office somewhere in the country and then brokers like us send them business. So they don't have the overhead of paying us because we only make money if we send them a loan. So we cover our own overhead. And then guys like us, we set ourselves even within the broker world to be cheaper than most. And we don't charge, you know, origination fees and processing fees and all oh, that you kind don't. of stuff. Really? So people don't pay us anything. Like our company literally doesn't have a way to like do payment processing from someone because we only get paid if you close a loan with us. Whereas most companies, they're trying okay. to be like, hey, sign this agreement or give me right. this money. So right. you're tied to me. And our philosophy is more so if we can't do the best job for you, then we don't deserve your business. Yep. And that sort of like abundance mentality has, it's treated us well so far. So like call it goodness of our heart or honestly it's selfishness because I'm like, why business. would we change it? Right. It's mm-hmm. worked so far. Um, so yeah, that's why we're able to be a much better deal. And we do a lot more loans than most places. So for us, that's been great. Um, a lot of mortgage companies and realtors or any of them, they're out there buying leads as fast as they can, but it's really transactional instead of, you know, a relationship. And right. my business has been completely different than that. Like I, I don't buy leads. We don't advertise a ton to try and like bring people in the door. It's more so we do a lot of client appreciation things and events and stuff within the community to try and the, the people that already like us, that's who we want to spend loyal money on. And then right? they're telling their friends and it's word of mouth. And- yeah. That's great. Getting back to your question, though, as far as like what to expect, is it a good time to buy, all that kind of stuff. Um, all of the data shows prices are going to continue to increase. And, and one good thing that people can look at, a good argument that can be made for why the answer to that question is almost always, yeah, it's a good time if the alternative is just sitting on the sidelines. Um, a cool reference a lot of people that I, I send them to that are interested in buying real estate, if you go to the Salt Lake Tribune's real estate section of their website, and there's other places that track this data, but I, I like the, the way that theirs works. It's pretty straightforward. You can look at the median priced home from any year in any zip code for like the last 40 years across the Wasatch Front, and it'll tell you the appreciation or depreciation that happened within that year for the median priced home. Choose any 10-year period you want. Mm-hmm. Choose 2008 right in the middle of it, right? It still went up 4 to 8% a year over that period of time. We obviously have seen way more than that the last few years. People are like, oh, prices have gone down. My father-in-law said, I'm going to get a foreclosure deal if I hang around till the end of the year, whatever it might be, right? That's not the case. Foreclosures are still historically low. Um, try and get a mortgage these days. You're going to find out you can't really buy a house that you can't afford. Um, So there's not a ton of opportunities like that, but the best argument I think that can be made for even buying a house right now, I talked with a client not that long ago who he looked at buying a house a year ago, waited, they went under contract in December to buy a home and this same house had been listed a year before. We were talking about, here's your options, here's your rate. And I think at the time the rate was like 6.375 and he was just like, oh, he was sick over it, right? Because he's like, when I talked to you a year ago, the rate was 2.99, right? I said, well, yeah, but let's take a step back and like, look at the math. This same house you're buying was up for sale last summer for $70,000 more. And nobody in their right mind was paying closing costs when they were selling their house for the last few years, but now everyone is. 
So you're getting it for $70,000 less and they're paying like $10,000 towards your closing costs. It's a big deal. So it's an $80,000 net difference. Mm -hmm. Now let's do the math between 2.99 and 6.375, but one purchase price was higher and one was lower. When you look at it that way, his break even was 18 years. So the higher rate, lower price was better for the first 18 years. And nobody is going to keep that loan or even that house most likely for 18 years. You're right. That's true. So for him, I was like, this is still the better opportunity. I know it hurts and it sounds really terrible to get a higher rate, Mm -hmm. but you just, the only thing you can lock in forever is the price you paid for the house. It's true. The loan, most likely he's going to be refinancing in the next year. The Fed has said, you know, that now that we've slowed inflation, that was the whole goal was just kind of stop the bleeding on inflation. That's what they do. They rise interest rates to slow that down. Now that that's happening, now that that has really started to slow down, Mm -hmm. they have come out and said, like, our goal is to be um, the last Federal Reserve meeting. Their notes is what people need to look at. A lot of times people are like, oh, they raised the rate. That really means they raised the short-term rate. So if you're going to get a car loan, they raised that rate, short-term installment loans and revolving debt and stuff like that. Most of the time, historically, about 75, 80% of the time, the mortgage rate does the opposite. So if they're rising rates within the Fed, the mortgage rate most of the time is going to go down because you want to look at the minutes that come from the Federal Reserve meeting more so than just the number that came out of it. Well, that's really interesting and good to know. Yeah. So if you look at what their goal is, it's to slow inflation and then lower interest rates. And they, they had said in their minutes, Um, that they want to aggressively lower mortgage rates in the second half of this year. Well, that's really good news. And honestly, even at 6%, that's not horrible. I remember doing loans for people when the rates were 8.5%, 9%. Yeah, sure. Um, I did some some subprime lending for a little bit where I was going out and doing closing, and then rates were 12%, which is crazy expensive. So, and it is relative. I mean, our kids, we've got a daughter and a son-in-law that are just graduating from school. And would like to buy a house. But I was looking, I was in a Davis County meeting the other day, and they were talking about the trend line from January to January, where, yes, it's you know, like, like a $400,000 house. By July of last year, it was four fifty, But by the end of the year, it was back to four ten or something. So, so it, it does ebb and flow, but it, but it evens out in the end. And, and so that's yeah. what they're saying. They're saying the market's not crashing horribly because really we were so below market anyway in Utah. So we've kind of, we've, we've caught up a little bit. It's slowed down, which is good for so many reasons, because people were paying really over, you know, way too much for a house. And so it's kind of calmed everything down and it's kind of making us better in terms of what's realistic. And so the other thing that I think is helping is the, the, the big push from the state to provide more housing. Yeah. Because more inventory, Certainly. you know, supply and demand, it kind of lowers. Let's see, President, uh, President Adams in the Senate, has a bill for a $55 million grant for first-time homebuyers. So tell me a little bit about the, the loan programs. Have they changed at all? Have, have programs changed? Is there more flexibility? Or is it harder to get a mortgage now? No, that's a, a great question. So there is a lot of um, stuff from both like local government as well as, you know, the, the Fed and Fannie and Freddie and everyone involved in, in the programs to help people buy homes to help specifically first-time homebuyers. And it's really exciting to see because when you were doing it, it was probably a bizarre idea to have like first-time homebuyers that could come in with no money down or 3% down and all these different things, right? No income qualifications. I mean, that's back then. 
And so now the nice thing is there is low down payment options for first time home buyers, but the, the barrier to qualify for those loans is still just as stringent as it has been for years now. Okay. Um, ever since Dodd-Frank in like 2008, it's still is plenty hard to get a loan. Like, like I said, you're not going to get a house that you can't really afford or it's extremely almost impressive. The level of knowledge you would have to have to commit loan fraud to to get a loan that, to you, get can't a loan buy. that you can't afford. That's but good. there are grants and programs and even loan programs that are specifically for first-time home buyers with as little as 3% down to buy a house. And relative to rent, it's still way better. And it's the best place that people can park their money. It's true. And I'll talk to young first-time home buyers. Maybe, you know, I, I had a conversation with a girl last summer who she came in to meet with me. She's a single teacher and she was in her 20s and she's like, convince me why I should buy a house. And the best way to convince her was, look, you make, I don't know, 40 something thousand dollars a year. If you had bought a house four years ago, right. when you started school to be a teacher, the craziest part is you would have made more money just by living in that house and paying your mortgage from the appreciation of that house than you've made as a teacher 40, 50, 60 hours a week for the last four years. Well, yeah, the wealth that, difference in yeah, the appreciating home values is mm-hmm. really big. That's deal. that's a really interesting thing to to share with people. Yeah, it is so hard to become wealthy in with, any aspect without buying a home as as young and as soon as you can. So that's the cool thing is yeah, there's local programs and grants and even mortgage programs that are specific for first-time home buyers because the people at those high levels definitely understand what we do. I mean, we're boots on the ground. We see it every day. Right. It doesn't necessarily matter so much what the price has become. If you can get in, that is the best way to build wealth. And and to your point that you made earlier, the funny thing is you watch, you know, January to January and then it peaked in the middle of the summer. I think another data point that would be interesting is not only what the prices were doing, but what those homes appraised for. Mm -hmm. Because that was our biggest headache the last two years. Right. Couldn't get the appraisals high enough, right? Yeah. Well, like I said, I like where it's at now because people are having to do their jobs. (laughs) <laughs> Tons of realtors got into the game the last few years and it was so easy for them because if you're a realtor and I'm going to sell your house or whatever it might be, I'm going to go sit down with you. I'm going to run comparable sales within your area that are going to be valid for an appraisal. And I'm going to tell you that's what we should sell your house for. Right. The last few years, it's been run the comps, add 10 to 15%, throw it on the market and tell people, have mom and dad give you 50 grand to pay over value for this. And it was a nightmare because then we're the mm-hmm. bad guys and mm-hmm. day after day after day, the appraisal came in low because appraisers were doing their job better than the realtors, which is I can't just appraise this home for a higher value because that's what you want. Right. So even though that curve looks a little more steep, right. the reality of it was it was barely a bump in the curve from value to value compared to in the middle what the appraisals came in at. So. We aren't that seeing true. that as much. I haven't had appraisals come in low in the last six months because everyone is doing their job better. It's it's more healthy. But the other reality is, like you said, Utah is going to continue to grow. The whole state is pushing for more and more housing and more and more affordable housing. Um, one cool piece of data as well, right? A healthy housing market is defined as a nine to 11 month inventory, meaning if nobody listed their house for sale today, we wouldn't run out of houses for sale for nine to 11 months. We haven't had more than a two month inventory for like five years. Mm -hmm. 
And now people are like, oh, it's taking more than 45 seconds to sell a house. <laughs> right, it's, exactly. It's exactly. terrible. I need to drop everything. And as a buyer, go take advantage of that. That's because true. give it 90 days. The snow's going to melt. We're already seeing it. Um, I was looking at it with my assistant yesterday. We have registered more loans in the last 10 days than we had for like the last six weeks. People are realizing like, hey, this I'm not going to get a great foreclosure deal. But Prices are going to start going deal. back up mm-hmm. and I can refinance the rate within the next, as soon as I want to, right? But as soon as it makes sense. Right. There's so a, yeah, go find the opportunity. People have dropped the prices of their houses more than they honestly need to. And smart buyers and smart realtors are out there taking advantage of that because it's not going to last. There's a lot of pent up demand. There's a lot of people watching these rates go up and the prices and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the news telling them not to buy because it's a terrible time. The sky is falling. A lot of people are sitting on the sidelines just watching and waiting and seeing what happens. And there's a whole bunch of millennials, especially, they're aging into home buying age. It's Mm -hmm. prime for them right now. And that's the biggest population section that the United States has ever had. And that those so many of those people are waiting to buy homes. They're right on the cusp here. So I think demand with that inventory as high as it is right now, which is still quite low, that's going to be gobbled up pretty soon when all these first-time home buyers are going to jump in the market. That's true. And and it's good to know. It's good to know that there's optimism out there. Take me through a, the process of buying a home and uh, getting a loan. For my kids that might be listening, I've told them what to do, but it helps to hear from someone else. So tell me, so they, they, they call you and they say, hey, we just graduated. We have a job. Um, now what? So we usually start the loan process right there. We originate it by getting them what's called a pre-approval. We ask them, we interview them over the phone. And we send them an app usually, too, that they can help uh, us by sending their documents through that secure app. We analyze those documents, determine how much home they can afford, and talk to them about how much they want to afford. Then we issue them a pre-approval letter, and uh, we show that to their realtor as well to see, okay, look for houses in this range. If they need a pre-approval letter, uh, here it is. What, what happens in order, what, what's required for them to get a pre-approval yep. letter? So tell me, what do they need to provide? One of the fun things, especially like my favorite people to work with are first time home buyers and people who want to invest in real estate because they, they care. They don't just want us to like pump out a loan and a quote as fast as we can. They want their questions answered and they want to feel good about what they're doing so we can provide real value there. So with a first time home buyer, especially one of my favorite things that we run into is they think home ownership is way less attainable than it really is. This uh, is very true. This they'll graduate true. from school mm-hmm. like your kids. And they're like, well, I don't have, I haven't I worked have for two money. years. Right. I've been in school. I don't so have a 20% down payment. Exactly, a lot of people think exactly. that's what you need yeah. and you don't. True. Yeah, because that people will get told like, oh, that's a bad idea. Don't buy a house if you don't have 20% down. And when a house was $80,000, that might've been pretty decent advice. Mm-hmm. When a townhome is $420,000 and you just graduated from college or you're going to school or you just got married, having $85,000 isn't super realistic. And so those kind of people are like, well, my dad told me I, I shouldn't buy a house unless I have 20% down. I'm like, cool, ask your dad if he's going to give you 100 grand because <laughs> that's not very realistic. Your option then instead is buy a home with 3% down, live in that house for a couple of years. Then you've got your 100 grand, right? Then that's you true. buy the next house, you've built some equity. That's how you do it. That's really the only super realistic way. So we're asking questions to those people and helping them feel better about the fact that your schooling, it counts as work history. 
right? That's one thing that people don't understand is when you're getting a loan, we look at pretty much everything for the last two years, where you've lived, where you've worked, what you've been doing, what your credit looks like. And those two years are the most important piece. Okay. If you've been in school, you just graduated and now you're an accountant or now you're an engineer and you've got a W-2 job, your schooling to become an accountant or engineer counts toward that two-year work history. So you're good to go. I mean, we can actually even, uh, I'm doing a loan for a doctor right now who just has a contract to start in the next six weeks or so. As long as his first paycheck is going to be given to him before the first payment is due on his mortgage, he can can close on the loan. Really? So we're actually going to close on his loan before he even starts work because when you close on a loan, your first mortgage payment isn't due for about two months Mm because mortgages are paid in arrears. Mm -hmm. And he'll get his first check about three weeks after the loan closes. So he's starting, he'll be able to move into his house. He's stoked about it, right? Because he gets to move in before he starts working, gets his family, his kids all settled into this house. And then he gets to start his career and he's a doctor, right? Like he's going to make great money. It's salary and he's working for IHC or whatever. And so like it's guaranteed. So those kind of people, it's fun where I could give you countless stories similar to him where they call and they're like, hey, I'm calling you because I want to buy a house and I know I can't do it until the fall, but I want to get things started. And 20 minutes later, I've helped them realize, yes, you can do it. You can do it right now. And you should do it right now because the price is going to be better than in the fall. Why not buy a house right now? That is really good to know. In fact, that's one of the things my kids were talking about is, well, you know, he just he just got his job and he's right now he's part time, but he will be full time as soon as he graduates. And this is his guaranteed salary. And but we haven't been on the job long enough. And, you know. Are we going to qualify? And I said, you just need to talk to someone. I've been out of the industry long enough where, and I haven't had a mortgage in years. So, you know, you need to talk to someone that can give you some guidance. But then yeah, that's there's also not kind a of ton of like scary, intuitive so. knowledge there. So I totally get, get it. it. That easy. Okay. It's so frustrating to me that, I mean, like I said, those same kids, your children know how to do all sorts of cool math and stuff they've learned in school. <laughs> right. But nobody taught them any of this stuff. Right. That's right? There's a big part of me that in a perfect world someday, I'd love to like finish a career in mortgages and then go to the state and the school districts and be like, look, we aren't changing kids' lives or path or giving them the boost they need in their senior year of school. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And this is fully my opinion, right? But that senior year, like those kids have already decided a lot of like who they are and what they're going to be. Taking that last AP class or that higher level, whatever, isn't really changing their path. But In my opinion, we should spend that last year testing everything, right? Like tons of life skills mm -hmm. and have it be more like my experience at LDS Business College, where you're having all these different real life professionals come in and spend time with you or require kids all through that senior year to spend, I want you to do two week or four week or six week internships, all these different places and shadow people and learn what you want to do. Internships are so valuable. I probably would have learned quickly. Like, I don't want to be a dentist. That doesn't sound like fun to me. I spent my first year at Utah State before I went on an LDS mission doing engineering school simply because they, I sat down with a counselor. They said, oh, you're good at math. You should be an engineer. Which one do you want to do? I said, which one pays the most? And it was like, all of them were within like $4,000 on average, but electrical engineer was the highest one. So I spent a year at Utah State doing electrical engineering. Hated every minute of it. I hated it. It was awful because part of the reason was they they spend the first year of electrical engineering with computer engineers 
And that part of my brain does not work. So I was <laughs> in these classes struggle. like having to learn C++ coding with all these kids that don't wear shoes. And I just hated it, right? Like <laughs> it was the worst. But if I had had some like real life experiences mm-hmm. instead of taking these classes that I was told I had to take, I would have had more tangible skills. And again, a perfect example, one of my friends who decided, you know, like that year before my mission of going to school, it doesn't sound like that's for me. He stayed at home, worked a job, made a lot of money relative to everyone else that age, right? And just worked a lot of hours. And we had an older friend who was a realtor and he said, dude, why don't you buy a house before you go on your mission? I will rent it out for you while you're gone and let's see what it's worth when you get home. Boy, that's great advice. It was the best advice ever. (laughs) And we told him he was an idiot, right? Because I was getting school credits out of the way while he was doing that. He was just wasting his time. He was a loser, right? Like we all thought he was dumb. He bought, it was like a four bedroom, two garage or two car garage house in Layton. I think he paid like $108,000 for it. And he he was like, oh, cool. I've got to come up with like $3,000 to buy this house. I can do that. Bought the house, lived there for like six months. And we had a ton of fun over there, right? Mm Because we were like 19 years old and just hanging out at this kid's house that he bought. It was crazy. Went on a mission, comes home. He married this girl that he um, had dated beforehand. Sold the house a couple years later. At that point, I had started my mortgage career. He sold the house for like $280,000, right? Absolutely. And at that point, he fantastic. still wasn't making a lot of money. But like now this kid has $175,000 in his pocket that he can turn around and buy another house. And still, he doesn't make a ton of money. I think he's on like his third or fourth house. And I've been able to watch him go from one to the next. He now lives in a beautiful home in Layton up by Valley View Golf Course. Like him and his family can grow into that house. It's probably like an $800,000 house. That if he was out trying to buy that house right now, there's zero chance he could afford it. But now he's got three or $400,000 down on that house because he did what we were told was stupid, right? That is a great example. Yeah. And Uh, we know you know the superintendent. He was on this podcast a while ago. So maybe we get the curriculum, get in there, teach people about uh, making money with real estate and building wealth. And and teaching real life skills. (laughs) I'm totally passionate about that because there's so much that we learn in school. That's good to learn. It's good to know, but you can also Google it. Yeah. It's not going to help us in our everyday right. decision making and and common sense types of, of daily living. Yeah, it just is backwards it's, to know how to do calculus, but not how to read your own tax return. Right, right? Like, a- that absolutely. is crazy to me. Oh, absolutely. But that's super common. A very common yep. or not being able to balance a checkbook. Yeah. Um, as far as the process goes, though, so if, if I'm a, a first time home buyer and I'm eager to do something, so I come to you, I get a pre-qualification, pre-approval. Mm-hmm. So I that would be pulling my credit, getting my income documented, and then you give me a letter and say, this is how much I can afford. And then I go out to, with my realtor or whoever, and I say, okay, this is how much I can afford. I put that letter in with my offer, which strengthens the offer. And then I buy the house. How long will it take me to close the loan? I know there's an appraisal required, maybe inspections. Pretty standard is, is your realtor is going to write weeks? a contract for usually a 30-day contract. Okay. So there's a few different dates within there. Okay. They'll say, this is how much time you have to accept our offer. Usually you say that's like 48 hours. Then give yourself a week. That's how long you have to get an inspection done and things like that, where you can pull out with no questions asked. Then your next date is your finance and appraisal deadline. Usually that's about two to three weeks into the contract where you need to have your appraisal completed. If the appraisal comes in low or there's issues or whatever it might be, and you guys can't come to an agreement, you can pull out at that point. 
and you need your loan to be approved. Not like completely done, but mm-hmm. you need to have a conditional approval of your loan. Okay. And then you can pull out beyond uh, before then without losing your earnest money. So you've given these people some right. sort of dollar amount to say, hey, I'm serious enough about buying your house that I'm going to let the title company hold on to 2500 bucks or whatever it might be. Okay. And if I don't close, you get to keep that for me wasting your time. And then the closing date, usually it's a 30-day window. We can do it faster. Um, we don't really encourage people like, hey, go write a 10-day contract. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, like sometimes that's what has to happen. We I closed a loan this week that from the day we started to the day it was cleared to close was five days. Really? So it can happen. Awesome. I mean, again, that's, that's not the standard. Like we don't tell right, people exactly. to do that. Like and, you're rolling and, the dice there. And not a good idea either. Right? Yeah, I mean, you want to yeah. take your time. You're buying a exactly. house. Exactly. So. Okay. It can happen, but yeah, like a 30-day window is pretty standard. Okay. So let's say someone called today, let's say your kids called and they said, we want to buy a house. We get their income documents, we run their credit, we say you're pre-approved up to X amount, and they find a house over the weekend that they want to buy. They would go under contract, they close in the middle of March, their first payment isn't due until May 1st. So it is, again, just more attainable than a lot of people think because they're like, oh, my, my apartment lease goes... Right. Uh, it's up in May, so I'll call pay. you in May. Right, and I'm exactly. like, well, no, you should yeah. do it right now because you want to time that correctly. Yeah. If and if did. and if we pull their credit and there's something on there that they didn't inspect or we right, didn't expect, true. we have time to fix it too. That, that that's true too. Good point. So someone making okay, graduating from college, making a hundred thousand. How much can they afford with the ratios being what they are in the the current market? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot, but sure. Just... No, the nice thing is. We look at everything as a whole, right? So a debt to income ratio is what everything's based off of. So what someone qualifies for is based on credit and debt Mm -hmm. to income ratio. Right. They have no debt, so. The cool thing is most of those kids coming out of school, they they think they can't afford as much as they can, but they don't have hardly any debt. You know, their parents half the time have more debt than they do. They might make twice as much money, but they've got four car payments and they've co-signed on all their kids' (laughs) stuff and the boat and everything. So their parents are hurting, but the kids are doing great. Yeah, so their debt-to-income ratio has got a little more breathing room most of the time. So if someone's making $100,000, has no other debt, the debt-to-income ratio cap is 50%. Oh, it's 50. It's about the top of what you can do. So we look at their gross monthly income and their mortgage payment or total debts can be about 50% of that. Interesting. So if someone's making a hundred thousand, was that like a little over eight thousand dollars a month? So they could qualify for about a four thousand dollar mortgage. Oh, okay. So it's more realistic four, 4, than four thousand dollar mortgage. Yeah, I mean, and they probably wouldn't want to do that. So that puts them at a price range of what? Like seven hundred. Seven hundred thousand. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay, that's interesting. And people sometimes they wonder, well, my my debt to income, I don't want to spend more than X percent right. on my house payment. And that's perfectly fine. You want to budget. You want to keep track of your finances, of course. But a lot of people sometimes don't realize, hey, my income is actually going to go up in the future. So that ratio will go down as I get raises, as I get promotions, better in my career. So people take that into account as well. But to be conservative, so 500,000... Yeah, would be a a comfortable probably place for someone making about 100,000. And that's why I tell people all the time, like, hey, I'm not a huge like Dave Ramsey, one one size fits all method Mm -hmm. to any financial discussion or decisions that people make because if someone's like, well, what should I qualify for? What should I spend? I tell them like, hey, if you just graduated college, I'm going to answer that question differently for you than I would for your parents, right? Because to Dan's point, someone who's coming out of school has a salary. It's probably the least amount of money they're going to make. So if they buy something really conservative that they feel super comfortable with at that point, it can kind of at least sometimes be one of those one step forward, two step backs two steps back kind of things because 
that might only be like a two-bedroom townhome. Fast forward three to five years, they've got a couple kids and they have to move. Like wife's either going to kill them or they have <laughs> to move, right? Because they're just busting at the seams in this mm-hmm. little place that was really comfortable when they bought it. But now they've got to move. And some of the best advice I can give someone is move as few times as possible and you will build the highest degree of wealth within real estate. So if you have to move every time you have another kid because you're just barely buying that, enough that's house. expensive. It's true. It gets super expensive. And then you're paying that full market value for that now that house. Um, my father-in-law, he called us a little bit crazy when we built the house that we live in five years ago. My wife was pregnant with our first child. I'd been doing loans for a few years and we built a house that it's out in West Kaysville. It's on half an acre and it's a plenty big house that we could live there forever if we Mm -hmm. wanted to. And we paid under $600,000 for it. Right. And now, like I said, we could have six kids and live there forever. Now that's like a nice townhome is $500,000. And at the time, my whole point was like, Hey, look, my philosophy is if I can afford to buy the home now and I'm going to need this house eventually, why not pay today's price? Because I guarantee it's going to be worse than it will be down the road. Five years later, the house is worth twice what we paid for it. Right. And we have no need to move. We're having more children and like we aren't strapped to having to throw a bunch of kids you're not, in the you're same not room. Like, for either. Yeah. So we're in a good spot because we had a little <laughs> bit of foresight to say move as few times as possible. If you can comfortably do it now, even though you might not need it, Mm -hmm. it's going to be something that I I think most likely, like, odds are, statistically, you're going to be happy about it down the road, rather than waiting until, like, I still don't need that house. But I might, in five years or ten years, be like, yeah, now this is, like, the size of house we need. But you won't have to move. But we won't have to move. As the market shifts and changes. Exactly. Or if we do move, now there's so much equity in that house that the next move doesn't feel we'll as crazy, right? It stays pretty comfortable. So to my point, like depending on the phase of life okay. will vary a little bit on whether or not I tell someone like, yeah, you can push the envelope a little bit. Or if it's that person's parents that are like, hey, we, I'm approaching retirement and I want to buy this house and I'm going to quit my job in the next five years. I'm not going to tell them push the limit, right? I might That's say, true. try and dial it back a little bit right? because you're at your peak earning years and your income is most likely going to go down in the next 10 years, not go up. And you might not need some crazy house, but yeah, just depending on the phase of life, but like a first time home buyer, if pretty much anything they buy is going to feel a little bit like a stretch just because they're not used to it. They've been paying subsidized housing prices while they're at school or living at mom and dad's Mm -hmm. basement. So $2,000 a month sounds crazy, right? I get that. I, I felt the same way. I, I lost so much sleep while we were building our house because I was like, what are we doing? Right. My this mortgage so payment's expensive. like $2,200. <laughs> this is crazy. And now that's less than townhome payments. Oh, I yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what's incredible. Literally, yeah. In the same it, token, I was going to say, too, <clears throat> try to get out of the renting situation if you can afford a house mm-hmm. as soon as you can. That's Some true. people want to rent until they can buy their dream home. I would say that's a mistake because the analogy I use for that all the time is if you're trying to, you're chasing a train on foot. And you're trying to get to the first class cars where you want to end up being. Mm-hmm. Instead of running all the way to that dining car, it's going to take a lot of energy rather than getting on the caboose by buying your first starter home and building that equity. Then all you have to do is walk. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, 
that's really great, and it yeah. gives some imagery to it because <laughs> it it is it's scary to to buy a house for the first time. And you're right, people that are so I'm in I'm in my fifties, um, early fifties, but <laughs> but but you know for for us right now we're thinking okay we're to the point where we're thinking oh let's just kind of slow down let's not work so much let's retire and so yes it it depends on the stage of life that you're in. And and as you project that out, but it sounds like not only are you great a great resource for home buying, but you're also a great resource as a mentor, as a financial advisor, not officially, but but someone that can give good advice to people that come to you as clients. Yeah, honestly, it sounds I, great. I tell people that's kind of what we are. Is I, I feel like a financial advisor that specializes in real estate. Perfect. So we'll look at that's people's a perfect like way to full portfolio and say. Even in like the refi boom, it was fun to be able to look at people's current situation and say, well, you know, look, we can help you get access to some money, consolidate some debt, make you feel better about where you're at. And rates are so low that your mortgage payment's going to stay the same, right? Like we had- Which was incredible. Yeah. When there were So many people that we did that with, or even when rates are high, like we'll, we'll look at someone's entire portfolio of debts and income and what are their stress points, their pain points? And we can help alleviate that a lot more realistically than people think. That's great. And way faster than they can do on their own, which again is fun because they look at them like, you're going to use the money you've made by just sleeping in your house and making your mortgage payment for the last two years. Now let's take advantage of it and pay off your student loans or pay off this credit card that's keeping you up at night or whatever it might be. So yeah, it gets really fun to look at those situations with people. and. Again, I think that's where we add the most value um, compared to if you just go sit in the bank and talk with someone who's really good at filling out a piece of paper and plugging <laughs> your information into their computer. It's true. Yeah, you know, like most of them don't have to go through what we have to 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 own a mortgage brokerage. Um, you won't be surprised it's to find very out. Difficult, I know. The people that sit on the board that make the rules for mortgage licensing just also happen to be the people who sit on the boards of Wells Fargo and Chase Bank and all the biggest banks out there. Mm -hmm. So the barrier to become a mortgage person at those banks is very low. Right. The barrier to have the licensing to be able to do what we do and even what I do specifically to own a mortgage brokerage. It's huge. It is a high bar. It right? is. Like right. education wise and bonding wise, insurance wise, um, test wise, like all those different things. It gets pretty crazy. And I kind of like it because it's a good barrier to entry into our industry. That's true. But also it keeps our, our pencil a lot sharper than the rest to be able to, your point, look at their situation and give really sound advice rather than just selling them a product because that's what we have. On, the, on those same lines, I happen to have a CPA license, so I can also help with the tax side of things. There's so many benefits to owning real estate on the tax, in the tax code. And I have that added bonus to do that in the education to help people see that aspect as well. So I I do. really appreciate you both coming in. It, you're such a, a great asset to Kaysville and Thanks. a great testimony to living in Kaysville. I love Kaysville. You grew up Kaysville. here and you're back here in Kaysville and you're, business, you're doing business here in Kaysville. So thank you for being here. And I will definitely let people know that they need to come see you because so many people, you know, not being able to sleep at night because you're not sure where you are financially is a very stressful thing. But if you have a plan and you've got some good coaching and good advice, then it makes life so much easier. Yeah, it sounds absolutely. like you guys are able yeah. to, to offer all of that. So thank you for being here. How can people find you? Yeah, um, we are on Main Street in Kaysville, but you can Google us, just Summit Home Loans, um, or you can email us. My email is Dylan, D-I-L-L-A-N, at summithomeloans.com or Dan at summithomeloans.com. Just reach out to us and we'll 
gladly set up times to sit down with people or go through things over the phone. Like we can accommodate whatever. But yeah, we appreciate you having us on. Well, thank yeah. you both. Nice Welcome. talking to you. Thank, thank you. you. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.